Okay, folks, uh, let's crack on. Uh, just conscious, haven't been a Sunday school teacher many a time. Um, the the bane of my life was was long sermons because <laughs> it meant having the having the kids longer. Well, in theory they could, I suppose, but you know, of course they can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You mean volunteer their wives? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, great. No, absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> super, super. That's what we like to hear. Okay, so we're go- we're going to go back to uh, Samuel today. Um, first Samuel 25. Uh, I wonder, would, would someone mind just get me a, a glass of water if they... Thanks, mate. Okay, first Samuel 25, and it is, it is quite a long passage, um, but it's, it's a good story, um, so it, it's worth reading it all. First Samuel 25, uh, verse 1. So, sorry, just the, the context, so... We'll, just where we were, David was on the run from Saul um, after being anointed to become king by Samuel. He was the, the heir apparent, so to speak, to the throne. Um, but uh, Saul was still alive and, and David was not going to uh, kill what he, who he saw as the Lord's anointed until it was the Lord's time. But Saul obviously wanted um, to get rid of David because he was a threat uh, to his rule. So so, uh, David had been basically hiding in the wilderness and Saul had been been chasing him. So that was the context uh, for this chapter. For Samuel, 1 Samuel 25 verse 1. Then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel and the man was very rich he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife thanks babe, Abigail and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. So I can very much relate to this story. Not so much in the wealth, but I have a wife of good understanding and beautiful. <laughs> um, so this was Caleb, a very rich man. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent 10 young men And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I have heard that you have sheared, you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favour in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. 
Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, and each one of them from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to the men whom I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men with David went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by day, by night and day. All the time there we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sails of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me, see, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was that she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I had protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed out of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, O oh me, my Lord, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let my, not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. The name of Nabal actually meant fool. But I, your servant, maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offence of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. 
But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you've kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened, about, after about ten days, that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. So, a very long passage, and I won't go to it all. I certainly won't deal with the, uh, the theological implications of David taking two wives. Um, maybe that's for another day. Uh, but I do believe the Lord wants to speak to us uh, through this passage. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray that it would penetrate into our hearts. You say that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating, Lord, into us, dividing even the bone and marrow, judging the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We pray, Lord, that, that is what your word will do today in Jesus name amen amen so uh, we were coming home yesterday in the car and I think the radio was on and I think the expression came up compare and contrast and Audrey mentioned gee compare and contrast I haven't heard that expression since my school days and this is certainly one of those passages where you could compare and contrast two very um, opposite uh, characters who happen to be uh, married uh, to each other, Nabal and Abigail. So we're going to look briefly at, at both of these characters and, and their relevance uh, for today. 
So first of all, we have, have Nabal, a very rich man. 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. Now, even by today's standards, I think that's, that's a lot of... Um, are they cattle? Can you say cattle? A lot of... Livestock. livestock. That's the word. That's the word. Thanks, Brian. A lot of livestock. Um, and, of course, back in the day, that, they probably were the main sort of currency, so to speak, um, other than coins. I don't even know if they had coins then, but essentially it was a very, he was a very wealthy man indeed. And he must have had a lot of land to, in order to, to service the livestock. And not only did he have land, of course, he had servants as well who were looking after um, the sheep, the, the shepherds who were looking after the sheep. So he was a very wealthy man and he was from um, a very distinguished lineage. Um, he was at the house of Caleb. And you may remember from the book of Joshua, Caleb, and from, from, um, from uh, the, the wilderness, the time in the wilderness, that Caleb, first of all, he was one of the two spies of the 12 who uh, had the faith to believe that, that uh, God could defeat um, the giants in the land. And then in Joshua, he said to Joshua, let me take this land, and it was up it was up in this area near Carmel by Hebron, and it was the land where there were giants, the Anakim, and he said, let me take this land, and he wanted to go and get his inheritance in this land, and he went up and he, and he took the land, no bother to him at all. He was a man of great faith. And presumably this land was a, a, a rich land, a fertile land, and indeed, the, the town Carmel, where Nabal came from, uh, it translated into garden. So this was good, he was a man with good land, a lot of livestock, and um, a very good lineage, so to speak. So he had a lot going for him. He had a lot going for him. But unfortunately, um, that didn't um, help his, his character or his, 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 his wisdom. So David comes to him, um, having looked after these uh, shepherds and servants of Nabal, free of charge. He, David and his men, so David had a, approximately 600 men, if we, if we look at the, the numbers that, that were listed here, but he approximately six, 600 men. So he had an army of his own. Um, and they were on the run, as we say, from, from, the, from Saul's army. But he was looking after these guys uh, while they were on the run. And he just came down and they needed, they needed provision, they needed food, and Nabal didn't want to know. He didn't want to help him at all, even though David had helped him um, from protecting him from, from, from people stealing the livestock, etc. And so what was his reaction? What was Nabal's reaction? He said, no, who is this guy? Who is he? He could be anybody, even though we know, of course, that David had defeated Goliath and his name was well known throughout Israel. And, you know, the, the women were singing in the streets. Saul had, had defeated thousands and David had slain ten thousands. So everybody would have known who David was. But because of the hardness of Nabal's heart, he, he, he mocked him, basically. He mocked him. And then we have the contrast with Abigail, who realized 
who David was. He, she realized that he was the Lord's anointed and that one day he was going to become the king. She also realized the folly of her husband and the implications for, the ha for her household and for everyone under uh, Nabal's charge. And she made haste. She was urgent. She made haste. She brought the very best that she had to David. And she came in a very humble manner uh, to David. She didn't demand anything. She pled with him. She said, oh Lord, let this iniquity be on me. Let this iniquity be on me. And not, do not let my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for his name as, is as he is. Nabal in his name and folly is with him. So she almost used humor as well, if you like, to kind of disarm uh, David. So we see two, two major contrasts, the foolish Nabal and um, the wise Abigail. Very clear contrasts. So what does the Bible say about foolishness? Well, the first mention of the word fool apparently is in, in Psalm, Psalm 14. If anyone comes to you and you're, you're talking to someone about, about God and they're, they're an atheist and they're saying, no, no, there's no such thing as God. You say, yes, you're right. The Bible says there is no such thing as God. Well, don't say you're right. You say, the Bible actually says there is no such thing as God. And you can point them uh, to Psalm 14, verse 1, where it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in, in his heart, there is no God. That's the first reference, as far as I'm aware, of the word fool in the Bible. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And Nabal was saying in his heart, David, he's a nobody. Even though he defeated Goliath, it hadn't been that long ago, he defeated Goliath, it had been in the past, but now David, if you like, was in the wilderness, well, he was in the wilderness, and so Nabal went, who's he? Inflated by his own ego, by his own riches. And he saw David running around uh, the wilderness with, with, with his ragtaggle. Who is he? He's a nobody. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And you know, even today, we see people, even though we know that Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and rose again, the most stunning act and moment in history. Jesus, who's he? There's no God. Jesus, he's just one, he was just a, a teacher, or he was this, or he was that. He was a nobody, it was all a hoax. And people are so quick to dismiss God. And it's foolishness. And the irony is that some of the most bright people we know, some of the brightest people in the world, scientists, etc., saying there's no God. When it's, you know, as, as, as uh, the scripture says in Romans, you know, the earth is crying out, creation is crying out that there is a God. It's, it's actual foolishness. It is foolishness. I had a conversation with um, someone there at our funeral, lovely, lovely girl, 
and um, she said she was praying to the universe for her husband, to get a husband. And she did get a husband, <laughs> but I don't think it was because of the universe. But uh, C.S. Lewis, he said, he said, the problem with people who don't believe in God is not that they don't believe in anything. It's that they'll believe in anything. And that's where we are in the world at the moment. There is such a foolishness. There is a foolishness out there. Talk to anyone. Um, you can be in work or in college or in school or wherever. And you get so many people, they just, they don't even think about God. They come up with, with, with silly ideas uh, of why God doesn't exist or why there's many gods or believe whatever you want. All these things, they're not, they're not thinking. And there is a foolishness uh, that, that is more and more and more prevalent in this world. The more knowledge we seem to get, the more foolish we become. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14, verse 9. Fools make a mock of sin. And we get that so much now, don't we? Fools mock at sin. So Nabal was, if you like, the incarnation or the personification of foolishness. But he was also called by his, um, his wife and, and by his servants a scoundrel. A scoundrel. And if that's literally translated, translated that's son of Belial, which was another name for the devil. So in a sense, he was almost like a representation of the devil. And we see so many people, just like Nabal's household, are under the rule of the devil, and he has fooled them. He has made them fools. So many people he has made fools in this world. And it's funny, isn't it? We kind of, it's so prevalent now, it's so prevalent, then we almost take it as every day. The new normal, as we say. It's the new normal. We don't, we don't bat an eyelid when people come up with foolish statements anymore, particularly about God. It's almost case sera. That's, that's the way it is. Okay? But Abigail, Abigail was not of that opinion. She was not going to do a case sera. She was urgent as soon as she heard the news. So what did she do? She got the very best and brought a sacrifice because she knew who David was. She knew that he was going to be king and he was going to establish his house one day. And what she did was she averted bloodshed the bloodshed of David. Now, it wasn't right for David to, to make that rash vow. It was a rash vow. He said, you know, I'm going to kill every, every firstborn male in, in, in Nabal's household. That was a rash vow, similar to the rash vow that Saul had previously made, you may remember, 
that his, his army were not allowed to eat any sweet thing until they had their victory. And he didn't relent on that. But at least David relented on his vow, his rash vow, when he heard a reason of uh, the reasoning of, of Abigail. Just before we, we continue with, with Abigail, just want to mention one more fool that is mentioned in, in the Bible, and it's, it's Jesus. Uh, speaking of um, the rich fool. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Verse 16. Or for, uh, yeah, verse 16, we'll start. Then he spoke a parable to them, Luke chapter 12, verse 16, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he taught within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, that night your soul will be required of you. Then, those, then, who, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. It seems obvious, doesn't it? Like, if, if we are eternal beings, why would we lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth? But if you don't have that fear of the Lord in the beginning, you're not going to be thinking about eternity. Even if you're kind of vaguely aware that there is another life, you're just not going to be thinking about it. You're not going to factor it into your, your plans, into your bucket lists, so to speak. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do we have a fear of the Lord? Do we have a fear of the Lord? And does it inform how we live our lives? So that was Nabal. He had no fear of the Lord. He had no fear of the Lord's representative, David. All he was concerned about was his own riches and his own reputation. So Abigail, apart from being a woman of, of great wisdom, she was a woman of great wisdom, she was also what we call an intercessor or a mediator. And in many ways, she was, she was even though she was female, she was, if you like, she was a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, how he became a mediator for us between God and us stemming the judgment of God there's many mediators in the in the Old Testament um, Abraham you remember Abraham pleading with God for um, Sodom and Gomorrah if there was even ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah would he stay his hand Moses pleading for the Israelites after they sacrificed the golden calf, David, Samuel, Ezekiel, 
Daniel, many who pleaded with God, who are mediators, who are intercessors. But as I said, Jesus himself was the ultimate intercessor. For there was one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, was raised to life, and is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. So just as Abigail went and she pleaded humbly, humbly before David, please withhold your hand from bloodshed. Accept this sacrifice. So Jesus is pleading on our behalf before the Father. At the right hand of the Father, he is, he is pleading for us. So the two, two great contrasts, aren't they? You know, um, we as Christians are to follow the example of Jesus. We as Christians are called to be intercessors. Each one of us. It's not a... Um, for special elite or it's not for a certain little group we are all called to be intercessors Romans chapter 8 verse 26 to 27 says likewise the spirit also helps in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us and groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit helps us in our intercession, all of us. We all have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Acts 12, verse 5, the church was earnestly praying for Peter uh, when he was in prison. Lastly, Ephesians 6, 16 to 18. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So God has called each of us to, uh, if we want a fancy term, the ministry of intercession. Essentially, to pray, not just for ourselves, absolutely pray for ourselves, our families, our household, just like Abigail did, but to pray for those who have been blinded by the Nabal of this world, by Satan himself, into foolishness. You know, I was talking to that, we were talking to that, that girl, uh, as I said, at, at the funeral a bit, but you realize there's, there's, no, there's no talking to them, as they say. In a sense, there is no talking to them. Someone very intelligent coming out with these whoppers, they're blinded. They need God's spirit to move in their, in their hearts uh, to change them. 
As you know, um, my mum passed away last week, and um, you know, obviously it was a, it was a very sad time, but it was also a joyous time uh, because I know where she is. I know she's gone to be with the Lord. She loved the Lord, um, and I know she's she's in, in a great place at the moment. But one, the most distinguishing characteristic of of my mum is that she was an intercessor. She pleaded before God for this nation, for many people, for our family. For, for many years, 20 years, my sister said at the funeral, my mom had been telling her about the gospel, about Jesus. She didn't want to know, but she had been praying and praying. And now my sister is a living testimony of the prayers of my mom. My dad, only in his 80s, came to know the Lord. And basically, there was household salvation in our family. And my mom was an amazing uh, intercessor, an amazing woman who prayed and prayed and prayed faithfully, not just for the family, but for the nation, for many nations, for Israel. She was a prayer. And unlike the, 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 the rich fool, she didn't, there wasn't going to be a big fight over the will in our family because there wasn't much left here on earth. She didn't store up riches on earth, far, far from it. Uh, she was the first to give away. But she has stored up for herself a treasure in heaven. And that is what God wants each of us. He wants each of us not to be like that fool, Nabal, or the, 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 the rich, uh, rule, or the rich uh, man who, who, who got the extra barns. Not to be like him, uh, to, to focus on earth. God wants us, he calls each of us uh, to intercede on the behalf of those outside. Those who many of us, myself included, we have become numbed to the reality of their eternal destiny. We've become numbed. Galatians, um, in Galatians, Paul writing to the Galatians, he says, who bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Now, they were bewitched by a, you know, a prevailing um, view at the time, you know, that they still had to observe the law. But he, he wasn't afraid to call them foolish. And we as Christians can be foolish. If we do not have the fear of the Lord in our lives, we can be foolish and be happy to go on day after day with our lives and just trying to get by each day, get by each week. Seek the Lord, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The Lord has us here on earth for a purpose and he has this church here for a purpose. And it doesn't matter if we're a small church, what it matters is do we fear the Lord and are we standing in the gap are we standing in the gap for those who don't know the Lord? Whether it's your family, uh, your work colleagues, your community, or the nation. What treasures are you storing up in heaven? Do you have the urgency of Abigail, who made haste? Do we have that urgency about us? Somebody, I read somebody yesterday, someone say, you know, intercession is not saying, 
praying for you on Facebook. You know, it is, there is a cost to it. There is a cost to it. Just like Abigail brought that huge sacrifice, there is a cost to intercession. We need to take time to intercede. We don't need to be theological geniuses. My mom certainly was not that. There was a fair few dodgy theological ideas going around to her from time to time, but she devoted herself to prayer. And it was so, it, it was so, um, com not just comforting, but it was so fulfilling to, to, to look back on her life saying there was very little regrets for my mum. Even though she had a hard life, she had a hard life, there was very little regrets because she had devoted herself to the Lord. And so as a church, we are small, but we're actually meeting um, afterwards today to, to kind of discuss the way forward. We want to see this church make an impact, an eternal impact um, on our community, on the people who are fools, spiritually foolish, no more so than ourselves un until we, our, our eyes were opened. But we need that zeal, we need that urgency of, of Abigail to do that. And anyone familiar with the, with the different revivals that have taken place in the different centuries, in recent centuries in Ireland, England, Wales, Scotland, they have all been birthed not in great um, evangelistic campaigns, although that has been necessary, not in great theological sermons. They've been birthed in prayer. They've been birthed in prayer. And if we don't pray, we can meet here every Sunday. And that's what we'll be doing. We'll be meeting every Sunday. But God wants us. He wants his kingdom to, to advance and forceful men to lay hold of his kingdom. And so I believe the Lord is saying in this passage that he wants us as a church uh, to take intercession seriously. And I know there are some real super intercessors here. And just to encourage you, those who are interceding, the Lord is listening. The Lord is listening. But for the rest of us who find that it's not our kind of natural disposition, we do need to take time to pray. We don't have to, you know, have great prayers or have great words, but just take time, take the sacrifice to pray. Pray using God's word. Pray reminding God, just as, as Abigail reminded David, you are the Lord's anointed. You will establish your, your, your house. Pray to God, reminding him of the promises in the scripture as we pray. Use scripture to pray. If you don't know what to pray, use scripture to pray. But I really believe God wants to do a mighty work uh, through us, not because of us, but through us, because of his son Jesus, who intercedes at the right hand of the Father, who died and who rose again. So be encouraged. We may be small in number, but the Lord wants to do a mighty work in us and each of us and collectively we can be an Abigail um, for this nation. Amen. Father we just thank you that you have not forgotten, you have not forgotten Lord um, <clears throat> this nation Lord, you've not forgotten Mulhudder Lord, you've not forgotten our families Lord and Lord even though it does feel sometimes like you are out in the wilderness Jesus and we're just waiting for you to come back. You're interceding 
at the right hand of the Father. You are interceding, you are fighting on our behalf. You are fighting on our behalf, Lord. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us the zeal and the urgency of Abigail uh, to fight for those who do not yet, yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen.